Well, I've got a, I've got a little bit different style of a sermon this morning than what I usually come with. I, I wouldn't say that, and I, don't, I, I sure don't want to limit what God wants to do this morning, but it's a little different because I feel like the Lord really wanted me to come and just overdose you with encouragement this morning. And some mornings I'll come and I'll have a real revelatory word, and it's like we're going to have to really dig in to get this. And, and this morning, though, I was laying in bed last night, and God just kind of changed my direction. And he, and he took me to a certain passage in Scripture, and he said, John, he said, there's a lot of people that are just pregnant with promise that need the encouragement to actually have the baby. And some people, uh, you're, you're right there, man. You're right there. And this is um, something that's going to be somewhat practical. I think it's going to be somewhat short. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll see where it goes. So if you have your Bibles, I want you just to go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel 30 and just wait for me there. 1 Samuel 30. So, without a doubt, one of my favorite, one of the, my, my favorite individuals in the Word of God is David. David is such a rich story of everything from a young man who passionately pursued the Lord. He's the only one that we have in the Bible that said he was a man after God's heart. Um, and I, I heard something one time that kind of even changed my viewpoint on that, because when I heard the the phrase, he was after God's heart. I always looked at it as a pursuit of God until someone else said something. They said, you know, I would just propose to you that if someone were to say, hey, John, your son takes after you. What does that mean? He looks like you. He acts like you. Maybe David was more someone who just looked like his dad. He acted like his dad. And he said, you know what? He's a man after God. He, he takes after you, God, because he acts like you. And so it challenged my thinking of just, you know, it's not, it's not always about just this passionate pursuit, but sometimes David was a man that he was so, I, I don't believe you can as a child grow up and worship God as much as David did and not start acting like God and looking like God and talking like God. And so here's David down the road. It says he's a man after his father. He takes after his dad. And David is, David is in, you know, there's the story of grace. There's the story of warrior. I mean, David is like the man's man. David also made some big mistakes. And David also, even in that, got to, we got to see the grace of God. Amen? Everybody's made a mistake. Say amen. amen. <laughs> and so David, David is this powerful story. But I want to pick up a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to recap all that. But I'm going to have to give you a really broad view before I start reading. So... Let me give you a snapshot of where we're at in the life of David here real quick. So David was actually anointed um, young in life to be king. And he ends up, um, he ends up you guys know the story, uh, David was out uh, doing his thing in the field and, you know, Saul sends, for, Saul sends for a warrior to take out the giant, right? And... Uh, this is the part of David's life that most of us that went to school, uh, church know from Sunday school, if anything, that David, you know, David was one of the boys that was not even brought in. I, you know, that had to be somewhat insulting that your dad brought in all your brothers except you. <laughs> and, he, and, you know, he's like, hey, bring your boys in. And, you know, he leaves David in the field and brings in the other guys. That's what the Bible says. He lined up his brothers. And then, you know, here he is. He's He's looking, he's looking for the right one, and he says, is this all your boys? And, and, and he says, well, it's David, you know. <laughs> you know, 
twinkle toes out in the field playing his harp all the time and we're just, you know, singing songs. He said, bring him in. So they bring him in and, and here comes David. He comes in and I always imagine David just super carefree. That's just, just how I, maybe it's a musician in me, but I just always imagine someone that's just, you know, having a good time for in our day, he'd be sitting with a guitar. You know, we don't carry around harps anymore, typically, but, you know, for in our, and we need to, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, here he is, he's, imagine it from our perspective, he's in a field, he's just always playing his guitar and singing songs to the Lord. Who would have known that that was a warrior in the making? And he's singing these songs, and so they bring him in, he comes in, he says, that's him. And so, anyways, you know the story, he goes out there, he defeats Goliath, and, and you know, David's life immediately changes. I mean, immediately changes. And at this point, from what we can see of the word of God, David has just loved the Lord. He has loved worshiping the Lord. He didn't ask to go out there and fight that battle. He didn't ask to go out there and win that battle. He didn't ask to do any of that. God picked him. And so, and so he wins, and now he is he's famous. He's literally famous. He's become what we would consider a celebrity almost because he's the one that just won the battle. And so he moves in with the king. Saul becomes almost like a father figure to David. Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes David's buddy. And here's David, a worshiping warrior. And um, everybody's happy. You know, and, and next thing you know, they're they're doing their thing, and there's, there's a song that starts being sung around town, you know. I, you know Saul kills his thousands, David his ten thousands. It's kind of a weird song to sing if you think about it. I mean, you think some of our songs are weird. <laughs> but here are the ladies, and it's the ladies. They're all singing this song, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And all of a sudden, the same person that was celebrating David now Jealousy, bitterness, and rage, and I believe probably some demons, have, have all of a sudden made Saul turn on David and hate him. I mean, hate him. Did David ask to go fight that battle? Did David ask to go live with Saul? No. He's just doing the will of the Lord. He was just doing what God called him to do, is being the warrior he was created to be. And so now, all of a sudden, the very same person that's, that's celebrating him is, act, is absolutely hating him. For the next 13 years, this demon-possessed man chases David, trying to murder him. You think your life's rough sometimes. The, the, the demon-possessed king is trying to murder you every moment he can. He's outsourcing it. He's, like, bringing in everybody, like, we got to get this guy. And so he's chasing him down, all because David did what he asked him to do. <laughs> David's done nothing wrong. <laughs> he loves the Lord. This is why it's so important when you begin to face challenges, you don't immediately begin to question everything you're doing. That's the first thing people do is they're like, well, have I done something? You know, first of all, just realize if you're doing something right, it comes with challenges too. Doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Now, there are things that we can do wrong that can add on some freebies that we don't want, but it does come with challenges. So if you enjoy the challenge, feel free. 
I prefer to go the less challenging route when possible. And even when I'm doing the right thing, it comes with challenges. And here David is. He's done what he was supposed to do. He's being the warrior he was created to be. He's killed the giant he was supposed to kill. He's lived in the home he was supposed to live in. And now he's being chased for the next 13 years of his life by the king. I really want you to break, think about that. I really want you to think about the toll it would take on David. Like, you can't sleep without knowing someone's trying to murder you. 13 years. Not just a few months of somebody's been mad at you and you're getting nasty text messages and, you know, 13 years of every time you close your eyes, there's a chance you may not open them again because there's someone out to murder you. And so during this 13-year period of, of running for his life, David does something extremely powerful. He gathers, through this, the course of these 13 years, he gathers 600 men. And they are the absolute rejects of society. Um, David was definitely like, how do I, David's one of those neat guys because he's always proto, he's kind of like a prototype or a, a forerunner of things that were coming. It was, a, it, was a, it was a forerunner of seeing this new covenant where there was going to come a time where the people that you wouldn't think would be able to do what they're doing, they're doing it. David was already ta- tapping into that and saying, I know these are, the, these are the guys that, you know, nobody likes them. They don't pay their taxes. They don't do the, you know, they don't do this. He's like, but they look like a great army to me. And so he, he takes these 600, 600 fellas and these rejects, and David decides, I can find the gold in them. And so David pours into these guys, and he raises up warriors. The Bible actually, this is what the Bible says about these guys. The Bible says that one of them could kill a thousand other men. I don't know what that looks like kind of like kung fu skills these guys got going on, that one guy has the strength to kill a thousand, but that's how they're defined. These are the, these are the warrior's warrior. These are the guys that are like, you don't mess with them. When they come tromping through town, everybody's like, whoa. The same guys that was in a ditch. The same guy that was the rejects that nobody thought anything of. Now they've been poured into. David's seen the gold in them, and now they're standing up straight, and they're warriors. And they're the men that David, the interesting thing is the Bible, the Bible names off at least four other men who killed giants. All four of those men came from David 600. You hang around giant killers, you will kill giants. You hang around giant killers, you will kill giants. Don't, listen, I'm, I'm, I, I got to stay on track here, but four, <laughs> four of his guys killed giants. So Saul, and they were not real fond of David right now, but at this point, the Philistines became pretty fond of David. <laughs> you got 600 guys, everybody wants to be your friend. When they can knock out, you know, as many as it says they could. So here they are, the Philistines, the Philistines um, have really taken to David, and they've actually given him his own city. Are you still with me? I'm trying to give you, uh, take forever to read all this. They've given him the city of Ziklag. Okay, so they've given him his own town, and here they are, and um, along the way, the Philistines found themselves coming into war with the Israelites. Okay, so this is kind of like when, you know, they're feeling a bit of a conflict of interest here. 
It's kind of like, you know, when you're not sure if you want your realtor to sell and buy, but, you know, they're like, I don't know, you, you're just kind of like your family. You can kill us if you decide to change your mind. And so what happens is, is that they decide they're not going to let David and his guys come to battle with them on this one because they don't trust that it's going to work out. I think I would have made the same call if I was going to battle with the whole family. You know, let's leave David and the boys behind on this one. And so, so anyways, David, David and his 600, you know, at this point, they're, they're coming home. They're, they're depressed. They're, these guys want to be out there doing stuff that's rated R. I mean, these guys want to be in battle, you know? It's like, and here they are. They got sent home from the battle. And I imagine here's the 600 just walking home. And they're getting back towards their town, and here they come back to Ziklag, and the Bible says that they could see from afar off there was smoke over their city. And they're coming back, and, and so here David's leading them back home. They're, they're already in a state where they're probably frustrated. Uh, this is my suspicion. They're probably down about this. And they're coming back, and they see home, and smoke is rising from the city. I'm going to remind you one more time. David didn't ask for all this. David's just being the man that God created him to be. He's raising up people. He's raising up warriors. Why? Because warriors raise up warriors. And he's coming back. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, I, I, if you could imagine 600 people, a um, 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 600 warriors coming together and they look ahead and they see home and there's smoke. I would imagine they take off running. It's just what I would imagine. When they enter their, their, their hometown of Ziklag, everyone's gone. Their children, their wives, everyone's gone. The Bible says that the 600 men wept until they didn't have strength to weep anymore. Now these warriors, I don't care how big and bad you are, their wives and their kids have been taken. They have no idea who took them, and they're gone. And the Bible says that they all wept so they couldn't even weep any longer. At that moment, it's where we're going to pick up in Psalm, excuse me, Samuel, First Samuel. At that moment, the guys began talking. The boys began saying, well, this is David's fault. Isn't it interesting? The same person, once again, who was once their hero. Now, it's his fault. And so David hears these 600 warriors starting to say, we're going to stone him. How many of you know this could be a little troubling? I mean, you're already, I mean, David's family is gone too. All their families are gone, and the 600 men who you have given every... How many know this is where, this is big time, where the major victim spirit comes in? Well, who do you think you 600 are? When I found you, you were a bunch of nobodies. That's what you could say, right? Right? Just being real, that's what many of us would say. Wait, before you turn on me, remember where I found you. But that's not what David did. He knows trouble's going on, and he probably, and so, here, pick it up in um, 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to read verse 6. It said, so David was in, an, was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him. 
for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord. Everybody say, David found strength in the Lord. Verse 7, David said to the priest, Abathar, son of that guy, bring me the ephod. So he brought it to him, and David asked the Lord, should I pursue these raiders, or will I overtake them? And the Lord replied to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. How many know that's a good word? So David and the 600 men went with him, and they came to the, <laughs> I can't say any of these places, guys, Wadib is or where, where some stay behind, and David and 400 of the men continued to pursue while 200 stopped because they were too exhausted to cross over. Stop there. I, I want you to get the picture. These guys, it, from what we can see, if you really dig this apart, these guys are, this probably you're not going to find anywhere else that they were too exhausted. These guys had wept to the point where they were just exhausted. And they're going, and 200 of them were so exhausted, they said, we can't even, we can't go. And so David takes them, but the, the thing I want you to really notice here, well, let's, let's actually read a couple more uh, verses. Verse, let's jump to 16. So he led them, well, actually, before I read that to you, so you know, they found, uh, what they did was, is in between here, they found an Egyptian and they gave him food and water, and, and he told him where the enemy was. And so this is where it picks up. Now they know where their enemy is. How many know this is a ticked-off group of 400 guys? Verse 16, so he led them, and there were the Amalekites spread out over the entire, and the entire area, eating, drinking, celebrating because of the great amount of plunder. They had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. Stop right there. They're celebrating what they just did to their families. And the warriors have shown up. Should be a movie if it's not. I mean, I'm just saying. This is pretty crazy. David slaughtered them from twilight until evening of the next day. None of them escaped except 400 young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Malachites had taken. He also rescued his wives. Nothing of theirs was missing. Everybody say, nothing was missing. From the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters, and all the plunder the Malachites had taken. And David got everything back. <laughs> and then he took some extra. What I want you to catch on to here is we need to realize that David had been carrying this promise about being king for a long time. David has been running for his life for a long time. David has raised up these 600 men. David comes back with his cream of the crop warriors, and all of a sudden the guys that are on his team are saying, we're going to kill you. I think David did something right there that changed everything. He found strength in the Lord. Because if you notice, I wish it recapped it more, but it just doesn't. It was like, we're going to murder you. David's greatly distressed. David finds strength in the Lord. They go get everything back. 
there's something right here that I think most of us are carrying promises. And this David strengthened himself. He found strength in the Lord is key because this was huge for him. It doesn't say how he did it. It doesn't tell us any of that. All we know is David found strength and how he did, what he did after that was huge. He said, you guys, we got to get our eyes back on who we are. You're warriors. Let's go get our family. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you know, let's, let's uh, I mean, they went immediately into, well, first thing he did was he asked the Lord. He said, should we do this or not? And God's like, go for it. And he said, guys, let's go take our families back. David found strength in the Lord. Notice David didn't defend himself. The Lord told me when I, Tiffany and I, when we very first took over this church, he said, he told us very clearly, he said, don't defend yourself. He said, I'll defend you. I mean that. Sometimes it's really hard. (laughs) But the Lord said, don't worry about it. I'll defend you. So David, here he is. He He didn't apologize either. He just reminded them. He didn't, he didn't remind them what he had did for them. He, he came and he restored their vision. He came and he said, I need to get you guys back on point, get you guys, get you on the same page again. For us here, one of the greatest focal points of this church is that we really want to have a ministry that creates community and community that becomes family. That's our heart. But I really believe that every believer's life, there is always a point somewhere along the way where it is you and God. I mean, my desire is that anytime we can, we're here for you. But there are moments when you go to bed and you turn the lights off and you lay in bed and you're, if you're married, your spouse is asleep and there ain't nobody, you're picking up the phone and calling and it is you and God. And it only takes about five to ten minutes of a bunch of really dumb thoughts to get really depressed. I heard Bill Johnson say, I'm only, he said one time, he said, I'm only about 15 minutes from depression every day. And that's true if you think about it. It only takes about 15 minutes of sitting there and chewing on a bunch of bad stuff before you start feeling depressed. And there comes a point, as much as my desire is to have family and community and a place where we can all be there for each other, I still believe there's points. I even can show you scriptures for it where it just comes down to you and God. It's you and him. People can encourage you and you feel it, but you know this is between me and God. I can respect that too. People tell me that sometimes. It's just, I'm just me, me and God, are, we're really going through this. I can respect that. And David found himself where literally it was him and God and no one else liked him. He didn't have his wife or wives. <laughs> <laughs> It's a different covenant, guys, okay? (laughs) No jokes. But David didn't have his family to even talk to. He didn't have his boys. It was him and God. And the next move he made was probably going to decide whether he died or not. And what David was is he made the greatest decision he could have ever done. He actually ministered to himself. This is where this was birthed. I, 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 I had this 
thought in my mind that I didn't put on Facebook because I knew I'd get eaten alive on it. But, um, you know, I meet so many guys. I'm going to speak for the guys in a minute because that's just what I can speak for. But I meet fellas so often that they're so excited to serve in ministry. It's like, man, they're just like ready. You often notice, though, that the same guys don't serve their wives very well. They don't pick up. Calm down, guys. I'm sorry you're going to take it. They don't help out. And I see these same guys saying, you know, the greatest demonstration of the kingdom you'll ever have is your marriage. Because your marriage is the picture of Christ in the church. If you think that you're going to go plug into ministry and it's going to just make your, your marriage better, as my wife just chuckled from the front row. You better have a strong marriage if, if you're going into the ministry. Because there's those moments where it feels like everybody's going to stone you. And here he is. Some guys are ready. They're like, man, I can call him up. Hey, you want to come help me with some chairs? I got it. You know, and, and it's like their wife's like, can you pick that up? Oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> there's a problem, though, if you serve ministry more than you serve family. Your ministry is based from the whole kingdom is family. The model is family. Everything, father, son, everything. Even the Holy Spirit is such a picture of a mother guiding and comforting and peace. So I began to think about this, this, this ministering. And I think even before you could properly minister to your spouse or to your family, you have to minister to yourself. David found himself in a place where he's like, okay, there's nothing in the rule book for this one. I better minister to myself. Put it this way. You know when you get on, you know when you get on the jet, like you're flying somewhere, and they have those people that do the little demonstration, like if this jet crashes, which you're likely all going to die anyways, but we have to tell you this anyways. You have to do this, this, this. And what's the first thing they tell you with oxygen every time? Take care of yourself so you can actually help others. David knew that at this point, if he didn't take care of himself, there was no way, number one, he could help the rest, and number two, he probably wouldn't even live. So the first thing he said I need to do is I actually need to minister to myself. I work with leaders. I talk with leaders. I help develop leaders. Everybody in here is a leader. The biggest thing I see people don't do is they don't minister to themselves. I have had the privilege of doing um, this mentorship with pastors, and especially full-time pastors. They are the worst. I'm being honest with you. They are so giving out that it is hard for them <clears throat> to slow down and minister to themselves. But here's the thing. Here's the picture I saw that I want to show you guys. Where's this stuff over here? Mike, get all that stuff, would you? This is, um, this is just the picture I'm getting. I never do examples or whatever you call these, so. You guys get a treat today. Let's see if we can do this without making a huge mess. Remove all electronics. <laughs> Remove the Bible. All right, thanks. Tiff, come here real quick. Somebody said something snarky, but I didn't hear it, so I'm going to leave it there. All right, so I want you guys, here's the, here's the thing about ministry. Here's the thing about working with people. You minister from the overflow of what God's doing in you. When you don't, you hurt yourself and you hurt people around you. And so here's this picture. Okay, so I want you to imagine um, 
Let's see. Yeah. yeah, that'll work. I'm just trying to figure this out. You hold that one. There you go. We didn't practice this. I have no idea. All right. <laughs> there. Lower. Lower. All right. I want you to imagine this is you. Okay, you getting it? You catching on? All right. This is God. I'll go slow. Here he is filling you up, filling you up, filling you up, filling you up, filling you up. And here's what happens. You get to start ministering to people. You get to start pouring out because you're getting filled up, filled up, filled up, filled up. But you know what? People stop ministering themselves. Drip. Drip. And you know, you can pour that for a while, right? You can pour that for a while. And you can get to the point where you pour it all out. And this is where some of you guys are. And the thing is, is that you got a good heart. You're still trying. You're empty. And you're full of promises. But you're not ministering to yourself like David did. And David said, the key, man, the key is that. You just get to pour out. Just let him pour into you. And then I don't, man, I don't, I don't make, let's see if we can do this without making a huge mess. I got you. There. I don't, um, <laughs> thank you. Wow, you guys are like, People, people will try to pour out and pour out. And the sad thing is, is you know what happens? They're giving it their best. They're pouring out that empty cup. They're giving it their best. And then people start saying, I just don't get anything when I'm, you know, I just really don't get filled up with you anymore. And <laughs> See, I can't give where I'm not ministering to myself. It's like that, that oxygen mask. You've got to put it on if you're going to minister, if you're going to take care of other people. And David said, listen, guys, he said, the first thing I've got to do is I have to actually minister to me. Stop worrying about everybody else. Jesus, did, David was just the prototype. Jesus did this with the disciples. I'll never forget. I, I don't have the scripture. I'm sorry, you can look it up. But they, he had sent them out, and they were going out, and they were casting out demons. They were doing all this work in his name. And they came back, and they're like, Jesus, this is amazing. Like, this is awesome. Jesus is like, that's great. You guys are tired. We're going to go rest. Jesus didn't need the rest. He was trying to teach them something. You need to minister to yourselves, guys. And here's this passage where, where David says, they're going to kill me. He ministered to himself. I got vision. I would propose to you that if David had just tried to jump from here straight into vision, I don't know if it worked. I can feel in a heartbeat when somebody's empty throwing out words. But I'm a feeler. But I can feel an empty tank. I can feel it when somebody's around me with an empty tank. I can feel it when I hug them because they're sucking off me. I mean, just being honest, it's like it's true. I mean, people, I mean, you know when you get a hug and you're empty and you're like drawing it off of them, man. It's like a sponge and, you know, like, all right, 
you're taking all mine, you know. So, <laughs> and uh, somebody asked me recently, they're like, is it legal just to draw off people even if they don't know it? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so, they, as long as they stay full. <laughs> and so here's the question. Let's, let's, let's bring this around. The Bible doesn't really give any detail of what David did, honestly. It just said he found strength in the Lord. But let's make it personal. Let's, let's, I can give you some tips that I have, and I would encourage you to even write some of these down. Most of us have words that are spoken over us. This church has words that have been spoken over it that are massive. I mean, they're, they're big words. And we're carrying these really big words, and it feels like sometimes you hit that point where it's like, is this really going to happen? Right? Mm-hmm. Just like David, we find ourselves in that moment where we can find strength in the Lord or we can sabotage the word. Here's the thing, guys. Here's the cool thing. If you flip to the next chapter, the next big event in the life of David, he's king. He's right there. I'm talking 13 years. He's hit the bottom. The Philistines were his enemy. Now even his enemy that welcomed him now doesn't like him. His guys don't like him. His family's gone. He doesn't know what chapter he's in in his story. (laughs) But he's right here. The next big event is he's king. If there's anything that's hard on a guy, is it when the enemy goes after your family? And they went after his family. David was completely alone. He didn't have, he didn't have, sure didn't have Saul. His best buddy, his best friend Jonathan, he sure didn't have him. Didn't have his wives, didn't have his kids. Completely alone. He couldn't call up his intercessors. He couldn't, he didn't call, he didn't have his pastor. It was him and God. And I can tell you for sure, excuse me, I can't tell you for sure what David did, but I can tell you a few things I would do. The first one's this. The first thing is, this is not about strengthening yourself, but it's just as important. The first thing is recognizing your warning signs. If your check engine light comes on in your car, you typically don't pull over and put air in your tires. Some of you might, but you don't have to, by the way. There's a different sensor for that. Um, you, you see, we got to know, we got to know our warning signs. I know mine. I, I really do. I'm making this very practical. I know my warning signs. I know how I start acting. I know things I start saying. I know things I start thinking. I know my warning signs. Because if you don't know your warning signs, you're going to be in the ditch before you ever find out. And then you got to go through a lot more work to get back out. When if you knew your warning signs, you could say, I need to pull over pretty soon because uh, something's not right. See, I know mine. Mine was, I'll start, getting, I'll start getting short with people. I'll start thinking that nobody's, I mean, just being honest with you, I'll think nobody is on my side. That's what I start thinking. How I many you know it's the dumbest stuff, but it's what you think. It's like, you know, the people that you know are on your side 150%, all of a sudden you're challenging that. It's, it's that's me. 
That's my warning signs. I start feeling those things. And then usually if, if I don't catch it, my wife will catch it. <laughs> and uh, she's Holy Spirit like part two. And she, she, if, if I don't catch it from the Holy Spirit, she'd be like, you need to go pray. And I'll go pray. But you have to know your warning signs. You guys know what they are. Write them down. I'm being super practical. If you have to put them on your phone, you know your warning signs. When you're starting, some of you, um, it's just, it's specific behavior. Maybe all of a sudden you start saying things when a week ago, when this promise happens, you've all of a sudden started having your language changed if this promise happens. Maybe it's gone from, you know, you've backed off praying for it. Maybe you've backed off talking about it. You're still saying, I believe it, but I don't want to talk about it because if I talk about it, it makes it more public. So if it doesn't happen, there's more that I have to deal with because now you're in doubt. And so all these things, the behavior changes. And that warning sign, it's flashing. It's flashing. You better check your engine. Here's three, just three practical steps, and I'm going to wrap it up. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is review the promises in your life. Review the ones, and listen, if you need to back it up more, you have to write them down or something to be able to review them. If you're not a writer, grab your phone and talk to the voice memos. I do that all the time. Put them somewhere where you can have, I have a bunch of them on my phone written down. Why? because I have it everywhere I go. Write them down, journal them down, put them on paper, put them on your phone. Email, I email them to myself. I, I Facebook message them to myself. I have them everywhere. The, here's the thing, these promises that you carry, they're like your GPS in your spiritual life. They're the ones that are guiding you. Turn here. Go this way. These promises are the guiding. They guide us. That's why I gave them to you. How many understand? And there's differences between prophetic words and promises and all this, but with the prophetic words, how many know prophetic words are invitations to where God wants to take you? It's not guarantees because you are still in the middle of this thing. God, said, God, is, God has looked where you're at and he sees where you're at and he sees where he wants you to be and he says, here's what I gotta do. I gotta give you a word that'll get you from point A to point B. So I'm gonna give you a prophetic word which is his invitation into his goodness and he says, I'm gonna give it to you. That way you know where to go. But some people are like, well, he gave me this word so I'm just gonna wait and see if it happens. You can go sit in your car and wait and see if you get home, but it ain't nothing going to happen until you turn it on and drive. And that's how people treat prophetic words. Well, let's see if it happens. Well, what are you doing about it? We even see that in the old, remember? I'm not going to go there. I don't have time. We have a picnic. Jeep, the promises, they're like GPS. And sometimes you need specific words for specific problems. This is important, okay? I have specific words. I had, um, I had a situation happen a little bit ago, I won't give details, where someone was just kind of really challenging Tiffany and I on leadership stuff and leading the church. And I remember when we had our launch, Robin McMillan came, and Robin's just the neatest guy. He had the weirdest prophetic word. 
I wouldn't even call it a prophetic word. It was like a word of encouragement, maybe, mixed with a word of wisdom. I don't know. He came in, and he's like, he's like I kid you not. He walked right in the room. He's like, John, he's like, the Lord gave me a bunch of, uh, of uh, words about your son. I've never met your son, but the Lord told me if I'm right, then the word I'm going to give you after that is dead on. I'm like, well, that's cool. It's like testing the word yourself. I'm like, that's like cool. And so he's like, so he starts to go through this list. Were you with me? Yeah. He starts to go through this list as if he like knew my son. Like your son is a leader. Your son is bold. Your son has yada, 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 yada. He's like, he's like does that describe your son? I'm like, that describes my son to a T. He said, all right. Well, then we know that the Lord gave us this word, don't we? It's like, that's pretty cool, actually. How do you say no after that? And it's like, yeah, obviously. And, and he said this. He said, and I don't remember. I need to go. I have it recorded, audio and video. And um, he basically went into it and said, there are going to be people that doubt you on how you lead this church. And he said, the Lord just wants you to know that you're the man for the job. And he gave me this. And it was real simple and sweet, but it was a word of affirmation. But it couldn't have not been God because God gave him all these words of knowledge about my son just to make sure I knew. This is God. But you see what happens is, and I've got one on my phone. I've got a video from the launch when we, we took the church. And if you were here, Brian and Simmons, Brian and Simmons, Brian and Candace Simmons sent us a video of a, hey, love you guys, yada, yada, yada. On that one, it says all this stuff affirming us. You know what I go to when people are challenging me? Well, God says... I fight back. I fight from the words I have. So I would say the first thing you have to do that, to, to find strength in the Lord is read your words, listen to your words, but get ones that line up too. You with me still? Before I leave that, you have to understand that we carry a promise I fully believe that we carry a promise for every problem we face. And here's the thing. Here's the word about these promises. This is so cool. Promises from God actually contain the power to overcome every obstacle that tries to stop them. Let me say it again. Promises from the Lord actually contain within them what is needed to overcome what tries to stop them. He's, he has set you up. He's like, I'm not only going to give you the word, I'm going to put everything in the word that will make the word happen. You just have to embrace and steward the word. The second thing, and I believe we can see this in, um, it's in Psalm 78, says 78 verse 9 says... The Ephraimites, archers, this is a weird place to jump in, but hang with me. The, the Ephraimites, archers, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They for, everybody say they forgot what he had done and his wondrous works. They're ready to go. They're archers. This is their sharpshooters. They're set. They've got their bows, they've got their arrows, and they get to battle, and they turn back because they forgot everything God did for them. 
you can follow the story of Israel and it is seriously like, we remember what God did for us. We stopped remembering what God did for us. We remember what God did for us. We stopped remembering what God, and some of us, we remember what God did for us. We stopped remembering for him. That's, that's a way to strengthen yourself in the Lord. The testimony, listen, and I'm almost done. The testimony a testimony is, it's a record of God's activity in your life that reveals who he is. The testimony is a record of what God has done that reveals who he is so you can be like him. It's not just a fun story. So, some people have watered him down to just like it's just a fun story. No. It's, the Bible says that the testimony is prophecy. Hmm. Many of you carry everything you need. Just like these, I just find it interesting. These archers had everything that they needed for the battle they were getting ready to go into except they forgot what God did. Some people are equipped like you wouldn't believe, but they keep getting right up to the edge and turning around. It's not an issue with being equipped. Some people. Some people can't remember how good God is. You've got your bow and arrow on. You're good, but you keep forgetting what he's done for you. All right. Testimonies do two things. You can write this down if you want. It reminds us of his nature. And two, it keeps us living in a place of expectation. Testimonies keep us living in a place of expectation. When we talk to people about miracles, the, when we talk to people about miracles, testify about miracles, expectation rises. When expectation rises, more miracles happen. When more miracles happen, we talk about more miracles. When we talk about more miracles, expectation rises. When expectation rises, can you get the point? It keeps happening. But some people stop talking about miracles, and it goes down, and it's the same cycle that can happen. Talk about them. Talk about them. Talk about them all the time. I don't care if it happened 40, 30, 20, 10 years ago. Talk about them. Assign somebody to remind you if you forget. Talk about them. Remind yourself. I want to read something to you that, that was a scripture that I've never caught this before until this morning. And it's, it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 24, it says this. It's, um, let's see here. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking, pay attention to what you hear. Everybody say, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want you to grab what, I, what the Lord's showing me in this passage. Pay attention to what you hear, because that's going to decide what you hear. You ever notice how somebody that gossips a lot, immediately the 10 people that you know that gossip all become friends with them. They just, it's like you could take somebody that gossips a lot, put them in a whole new workplace and everybody that works there that gossips hangs around them. It's like, 
You know what I'm talking about. And what happens? When there's gossip, they immediately know that's one of the people I should talk to. Because pay attention to what you hear because it's going to determine what's given to you. But imagine if, imagine if you're one of these people that I always want to hear about the works of God. I always want to hear about the miracles of God. I love testimonies. You know what people, when they have something exciting to talk about, you know what they're gonna, who they're going to call? You. I want to be the guy that when a testimony happens, they come straight to me like they know I'm going to celebrate it. Because I lend my ear to that. And because that's what I lend my ear to, that's what I'm served. Some people sometimes don't realize that lending your ear is more powerful than you know. People lend their ear to a lot of stuff. And they wonder why people that lend their ear to negativity, all they ever get is people coming in that's negative. What you lend your ear to will determine what is served to you. There's people, well, I didn't, I didn't agree with them. Well, it's pretty close when all, if you let them say it to you every time. And you keep listening. I want to be the guy that when people want to talk about kingdom, they want to bring it to me. Because they know he'll celebrate it. And the third thing is this. Rejoice in God. Praise God. Offer up praise. Offer up celebration. Let's say it this way. Offer up celebration that's equal to the problem you're facing. Don't come to me with, oh, I praised them in church. (laughs) Everybody over here is attacking you. Offer up praise that's equal to the problem you're facing. If it's really big, praise big. Rejoice big. Celebrate big. Go for it. Don't allow yourself to ever believe that the promise or that the problem is bigger than the promise. Never believe that the problem is bigger than the promise. I believe that if we would do those three things, I know this is a little different this morning, but if we would do those three things, I don't care if you're in ministry, I don't care if you're not in ministry, you will be a much healthier person. Because you're learning how to minister to yourself. When other people may have taught you, well, don't focus on yourself. Well, I don't believe we can just be a bunch of selfish people. But I am no good if I am not filling myself up. Amen? Let's stand up. Did you get something from that? Mm. Good, because I've never preached on that before. And sometimes when you go out there, you make sure you get it. Thanks, Jesus, for... You're always there. You're always there. I feel like the word for us this morning, the reason I preached on this was I feel like if you don't go to this church... Everything I have said applies to you 100%. But I do feel very specifically for this church that we have some massive promises, and I feel like if we could see our story written out years later, we're like one chapter away. And some people need to 
strengthen yourself. Find strength in the Lord. Some of you, you are in a chapter before the promise you've been carrying. Strengthen yourself. So let's, let's do that right now. If you haven't already done it, I really challenge you to write down your warning signs. Be very practical so you know when things are getting off. But let's do this first. The first thing is remember the promises. I want you, if there's, the first, if there's a certain area that you feel like you've been pressing in and pressing in and pressing in, let's remember the promise. And I want you to remember it this way, not just a broad overview. I want you to remember when you received it. I want you, if it was a person, I want you to remember it as if they were saying it to you. If it was an email, I want you to almost, in your head, look at that email. I want you to make it real as when you first read it, the promise that you're holding on to right now. Let's do that. It might be a calling. It might be ministry. It might, it could be anything. But actually reflect on when you got that word. With that in one hand, go back to something that looked like there was no way this could happen, where God was faithful and blew your mind, and get that memory, because now we're bringing the testimony to the promise, and the testimony prophesies to the promise. I felt that. So, we've got the promise. And we're re- you need to recall when God did something amazing in your life. Just one of those, wow, no one but God can get that. <laughs> now, Remember my third one? Rejoice. Begin to give thanks. Begin to give thanks. Right now, begin to give thanks. Begin to give thanks. Come on, you've got the promise. You've got the testimony of his goodness. Give thanks. Give thanks to him. Give thanks over it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're, you're every time you're right there. You are continually amazing me. That song we sung this morning, that song, You Came, it's all about that. You came. You were standing outside my tomb waiting. You came. You came. Come on. Let your, turn that music up. Let your rejoicing be as great as the thing you feel standing in your way. It's always bigger. We love you, Jesus. Come on. You're so good. Just begin to declare out the goodness of the Lord, the faithfulness. He is famous for his faithfulness. He's famous for his faithfulness, and our job is to represent a famous God. So let's just right now begin to give thanks for his faithfulness. Mm-hmm.
<laughs> mm -hmm. That's it.